Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Now, it's really very nice to see all of you today. I see many familiar faces, old friends, new ones, and newcomers here today. Now, last year was my 20th anniversary in Covenant. When I crossed that important milestone, I told God that I will do something bold and courageous for Him. And one of this courageous act was agreeing some eight months ago to our senior pastor, to preach here today. Thank you. And I have not slept ever since. <laughs> it is also very refreshing for me to stand here before all of you. You don't often get this chance apart from on your wedding day after kissing the bride. Speaking of brides, I'm joined here today with my wife, June Lai, a bride of uh, 24 years. Never, never too old in my heart. And our son Ray is also here with us. Could you please welcome them? Now, my family is very integrated into Covenant. Like what Pastor Kingman has shared, uh, I serve in the church board as well as a Zoom mentor. Uh, right now with uh, Pastor Porsche and previously with Pastor Kingman. My wife serves in Women in Covenant, WIC. My mother was a CGL, a cell group leader uh, in the Chinese ministry. My son, Ray, is in the youth ministry. And my helper is in the Indonesian fellowship. So not only do we embrace one church, multiple center, we also embrace one family, multiple ministries. Now, today's sermon topic is about our money in God's hands, a very important topic, something very close to our heart, something very dear to us, but not very often spoken about in church. But today, we are going to break some tradition. We hope that it will provoke some thinking in us and some deep actions. Now, before that, a bit more about myself. Like most of us, I'm a layperson an everyday man with everyday responsibilities of our home, our work, and in church. Now, money is both a simple and yet, at the same time, difficult topic for me to share. Simple because it is really about my day job. But it's difficult because I'm conscious of the fact that I'm still far, far away from what I'm about to preach. So if you allow me, I will share from my personal experiences they are not great stories of victory won, but they are full of failures, faults, warts, and all. But importantly, they are full of God's grace and God's glory. Let's pray. Father, teach us how to be good stewards and servants of a Christian faith. Guide us, O Lord, how to view money Christianly. On the big topic of money, Grant us, O Lord, the eyes to see, the faith to believe, and the courage to act. May every word 
from my mouth be that of yours. Amen. Now, are we ready? Let's begin. Let's begin with the worldview of money. Now, in his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, Charles Swindle, the autogenarian author and evangelist, he described the world system to be committed to four major objectives. Four major objectives. They are fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. They are the big four idols of humanity. Now, if you worship them, it will lead you astray. Now, topping that list is about money. The world system is driven by money. It fits on materialism. Ecclesiastes causes chasing after the wind. But does chasing after all these things really make us happy? Now, I come across this report. It's called the World's Happiness Reports. Now, I believe that you will find it very interesting. Now, it shows that as nations become wealthier, the level of happiness actually increases, but in a diminishing fashion. Now, what if we were to look at it from another angle? Salary. Salary versus happiness. Now, you will also find an interesting observation. Now, look to your right. Now, to the CEOs and the fellow strivers amongst us, being the best paid doesn't make one the happiest. It does not make you the happiest. So which occupation should we then learn from? Ah, let's learn from our beloved clergy. <laughs> now, pastors are very wise people, much wiser than we marketplace people. They choose the right thing. They're always happy. Look at Pastor Ke Kyong, always smiling, right? <laughs> Pastor King Man is also smiling right now and nodding his head. <laughs> now, so if you want happiness, true happiness, learn from the clergy, speak to our pastors. Now, therefore, we can also conclude that even with the secular point of view, the endless chase of money will not bring us endless happiness. It is an elusive dream. Sorry, I digress. Let's return to the biblical view. This is still a Christian service in the right place. Now, what does the Bible tell us about money? Now, you'll be surprised that the Bible actually emphasized so much about money. Now, here's a quiz time. How many parables are there in the Bible that talks about money? How many? 16 is the number. 16 out of 38 parables talks about money. Now, in the same vein, I will ask, how many verses are there in the Bible that talks about money? 2,350 is the number. That's twice the number of verses on faith and prayer combined together. Now, the question is why? Why is the Bible talking so much about money? Now, I believe that the answer lies probably in the most quoted verse in the Bible. Now, any guess which is it? Now, according to a very reliable source, that's me. <laughs> it's Luke 16, 13. Luke 16, 13. 
is from the parable of the dishonest manager. It's one of the most fascinating parables in the Bible. Now, Jesus told the story of a rich man and his dishonest manager. The story culminated with this capstone principle about money and lordship. Let's read it aloud together. No one should serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You must not serve both God and money. Now, read this very carefully. What's wrong? It is not should, but can. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You must not serve both God and money. Now, is this still correct? No. It is a must not. It is cannot. The impossibility of a divided heart is mentioned two times. Now, for illustration, this is illustration. Husbands, if you have your wife seated next to you, ask her this very philosophical question. Are you ready? Can a man love two women romantically at the same time? And that's not your mother, that's not your daughter or your sister. Now, if your wife were to say you, dear, can, of course, be very, very worried. <laughs> now, all this pivots to our first point. And staying true to our covenant tradition of three P's and three S, you have three S for today. The first S is struggle. The struggle for money, our money in our hands. We struggle when we see money as our possessions, to serve our private ambitions at the expense of our values, our ethics, and our devotion to God. So no one can serve two masters. That's the first part of Luke 16, 13. Now even for Christians, that's most of us, we are more secular than we think because we are a product of our own upbringing and society's influence upon us. Now, let me illustrate with a story, my story, when I was a young and foolish man. But first, a backstory. I gave my life to Jesus in 1987 as a teenager. Now, as a young Christian then, I could understand Luke 16, 13. The requirement for the absolute lordship in my life could be satisfied in my cognitive mind. Now, I didn't have any struggles with money, and the reason was very simple, because I did not have any money. <laughs> but soon, I was initiated to the world of money. By 18, I had to be financially independent. I had to be self-funded for my university education. So I took up part-time jobs. I nickel and dimed, and I screwed my way to the bank. Now, meanwhile, I was still an earnest young Christian. I read my Bible very diligently, and soon I discovered a verse that I did not quite like. I came across 1 John 2.15. Now, this is our IDT verse. 
Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then as I ventured further, it got worse for me. I came across yet another verse that I didn't like. 1 Timothy 6.9 Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And verse 10, again a very common verse, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, that was when my struggle with money really began. Because in my subconscious mind, I allowed the mix of my beliefs, my Christian beliefs, with secular ones. A few years later, God orchestrated a turnaround in me. It was through a war. Yes, a real war. Now, for this service only, I will give it to you for free. God revealed to me a brand new and timeless investment principle. Now, do you want to hear the story? Really? <laughs> okay, I'll give it to you. Now, it was the year 1995. Where were you then? I was already in the university. Asia was doing very, very well. Stock markets were raging at that point in time. Now, truth be told, many of us were not really studying in the university. Okay, I'm glad my son is not here now. <laughs> and for those of you who are still studying, don't listen to this. Now, between lectures, many of us were either at the Tencent phone booth calling our brokers, or you were in the library looking at the SBC tax for the stock prices at that point in time. It was a dinosaur age. Now, trading facility then allowed what was called Contra, T plus 14. So one could actually purchase a stock without the capital and sell it within 14 days. And you basically book in the gains or your losses. Then I believed in my instincts. Then I believed that I could walk on water. Then I believed that it was my moment to get rich. So I made the biggest Contra trade of my life as a student. And the story goes, suddenly, my fairy tale turned dark. Operation Deliberate Force took place. It was part of the Bosnian War. The NATO forces attacked the Bosnian Serb targets. Oh, the markets fell precipitously. So did my stocks. So did my stocks. Oh, my heart was pierced with many griefs. The next fortnight or so was torturous. It was tormenting to me because that represented a significant part of my school fees. Finally, I came around and I prayed. I said, Lord, forgive me. I will never, never do this again. So I surgically cut losses. Now, it was a very difficult decision, a painful one but it's also a life-changing one. Now, guess what happened next? The NATO forces pulled back immediately after I sold. The operation ended 
and the stock market rebounded. <laughs> you laughed, but I cried. <laughs> now, what did I learn? More than I ever did in my entire university education. Because pain is a very, very good teacher. Losing the bulk of your net worth at that point in time was very, very educational. I perfectly timed the start and the end of Operation Deliberate Force. <laughs> but I believed, and I still do, that that was God's Operation Deliberate Force for my heart, a surgical act of God's love to me. Now the question is, why did he do it? Oh, to teach me a precious lesson that no man can serve two masters. It has shaped my lifelong perspective about money. It has made me a better investment manager for life. But importantly, it has also made me a better person and a better steward. Now, what applications can we all draw from here? Now, many of us have got great skills, got great abilities and great talents. Many of us want to create business, makes lots and lots of money. Now imagine spending 40, 50, 60 years of your life trying to be a millionaire or a billionaire, but in a heartbeat, it can be all over, just like recent happenings. Now if you were to make your choice of two masters, I hope that you will make it early, and I hope that you make it now. Because any later, it can be a lot more expensive or it can be too late. Now, here's the first principle for today. Our money in our hands leads to our lives of struggles. Lord grants us the eyes to see the impossibility to serve two masters. Now, having made this foundational point, Let's progress to the next stage of Christian maturity with money, the stewardship of money, God's money in our hands. Now, before we start, let me ask, do you have a live verse? A live verse is a Bible verse that summarizes our beliefs, the seasons of our life. My live verse in stewardship is in Luke 16, 11. And my first memory of this verse is as a 15-year-old. Now, it became more instructive to me later in my life as I discharged my responsibilities as a marketplace leader as well as as an investment manager. Now, let's read it aloud together. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Luke 16, 11. Now, this is also a pivotal verse in the parable of the dishonest manager. Jesus makes a distinction between worldly wealth and heavenly riches. Before we can be entrusted with the real thing, we must first be proven, tested, and found faithful. Now, at the heart of this verse is a principle of stewardship. It involves our lifestyles, our obedience. Now, let me illustrate with two possible applications. The first is to live simply. Now, that means don't live above our means, 
Don't live at our means. Don't live just within our means, but live way, way below our means. Now, what better ways is there to illustrate this than to look at the life of our founding father of Singapore, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. Now, he acknowledged that he is of a different generation altogether. He is also of a certain kind in our terms. Now, he said that I'm not interested in changing either my suits or my car or whatever with every change in fashion. I don't judge myself or my friends in their fashions. And he's not impressed with a $5,000 or a $10,000 worth of Armani suits. Now, in fact, it was reported that he wore the same running shorts for 17 years. 17 years. And he stayed in the same house. Again, same house for decades. Wow, that's really living below our means. My wife and I have long decided since the day that we got married that we will live below our means. Now that, to us, means that hawker centres, coffee shops remain as our go-to places. By the way, this is no Armani suit for sure. But sadly, I failed to wear the same running shorts for the past 17 years. But that's for a different reason altogether. Because I've grown too fat. <laughs> that might be a topic for our next sermon by Pastor Edmund Chan, that our body in God's hands. <laughs> now, a friend of mine jokingly remarked on his lifestyle and this inflationary environment. He said that he no longer has any lifestyle. He only has life, but no style. <laughs> now yet, we still see paradoxical behaviour of people. People buy things they do not need with the money that they do not have to impress the people that they do not know. People buy things they do not need with the money that they do not have to impress the people they do not know. Now, it's laughable, but yet it is so reflective of our society today. Remember, live simply, live below our means. Let prudence rule over our spending habits. Now, very importantly, when God calls us to serve, we will not be impeded by monetary constraints. When God calls us to give, we will not say that we do not have enough. Now, the second application is in tithes and offering. Now, what are tithes and offerings? Now, I'll just very broadly say that this is what we give to God out of our obedience, out of our faithfulness. Now, you might ask, how much tithe is enough? Enough starts with one-tenth of our income. You may again ask, is it net or gross income? Now, I like this answer best. Do you want net or gross blessings? The heart of the matter is really the matter of our hearts. Now, here's a verse with a promise on our giving. Luke 6, 38. Let's read it aloud together. Give, and you'll be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over 
will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke 6, 38. Now, what are some immediate applications that we can have? Now, I can imagine giving to our Covenant East $40 million seed fund as one. Or very simply, give to our general offering back or to anyone that you know who are in need. Here's a principle on this second sermon point. God's money in our hands requires our commitment to stewardship. Lord, grant us the faith to believe. Now let's progress to our final point for today, what I believe to be the height of Christian maturity with money. The surrender with money. Our money in God's hands. Now, at a certain juncture of our Christian pilgrimage, we must confront the last part of Luke 16, 13. The pointed reality that we cannot, we cannot serve both God and money. If we want to be a true disciple of Jesus, we must be fully yielded unto Him, a full surrender. Now, friends, when was the last time that you gave something precious surrendered that something precious to him. Was it a long time ago? I want to deepen this point on surrender by pivoting on a fascinating miracle story recorded in the Bible. Now, the manner that it was recorded deserves our special attention. Now, only two miracles, two, are recorded in all four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, which are they? The first miracle is the miracle of the resurrection of Christ. Now, it's there for a fundamental reason, because it is the heart of the gospel story. And the second miracle is the miracle of the five loaves and two fish, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, it must be important enough for all four gospel writers to make mention of it. But there is one difference. Only John recorded the presence of an unnamed boy. He's the unsung hero and the sacrificial donor of the five loaves and two fish. Now in John 6, 1 to 15, we find a 5,000 crowd coming towards Jesus and his disciples. Jesus tested his disciples, Philip, asking where to buy bread for everyone. Philip indicated no way. And then in verse 9, a fringe character appeared. Andrew, one of the disciples, he said this, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? Among so many. The boy gave them his food. Jesus took it, blessed it, broke it, and the breaking and the multiplying continued, and it was sufficient to feed everyone until they were full. The Bible recorded that there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now let's use some sanctified imagination. Why was John the only author that recorded the presence of this boy? I would have expected it to be Luke, given his detailed orientation as a physician author. Next, what was the boy doing there with five loaves and two fish? 
The Bible was silence. But quite possibly, the quantity suggests that he was delivering his, his bundle meal to his entire family. But most importantly, the question, what was Jesus wanting to teach his disciples? Now, on surface, it could be a lecture on the abundance mentality because the disciples were scripted in a scarcity mindset. Or it could be a lesson on meeting the felt needs of the people, satisfying hunger. Now, all this, all this could well be true, but I believe that John, the disciple Jesus loved, probably knew the hearts of his master best. I believe that the central reason of John's exclusive mention of this boy's surrender is to illustrate this, that whoever the giver, with whatever is in his hands, however small the amount, God can multiply it for his own purpose. I say that again. Whoever the giver, with whatever is in his hands, and however small the amount, our master can multiply it for his own purpose. Because our master specializes in using the least of us to become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. Because our master delights in the sacrifice of the widow's might. Because our master relishes in the surrender of a boy to feed the five thousand. My friends, how can we apply all this to our lives. Let me quote Martin Luther, the seminal figure behind the Reformation. I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. I've held many things in my hands, I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Start with what's in our hands, then a surrender and a sacrifice. Now, Jesus can use them to satisfy the needs of our society and our communities. God's economy does not work through just a principle of addition, God's economy works through the principle of multiplication. My friends, the world that we are living in today is very challenging. The economy that we are facing is very uncertain. What will my future hold? What will your future hold? What will our children's future hold? Instead of endless accumulation, the Spirit of God says, Ride on my wings of faith, of surrender, and of obedience. It will be a magnificent journey. What's the final principle here? Our money in God's hands calls for our complete surrender to Him. Lord, grant us the courage to act. Now, I'd like to invite the worship team to come and minister to us. Now, in a moment, I want to pray for all of us. But first, allow me to bring all this home. Today, we heard three simple truths. Three simple truths. Our money in our hands leads to our lives of our surrender. 
God's money in our hands requires a stewardship commitments. And lastly, our money in God's hands calls for our complete surrender. But so what? Why does God want us to be victorious in our struggles, in our stewardship, in our surrender? Oh, so that we can have the eyes to see, the faith to believe, and the courage to act. But again, why this? So that as we see, we'll recognize the struggles and the impossibility of serving two masters. So that as we believe, we'll steward and we'll give a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured over your lap. So that as we act, God will take our surrendered five loaves and two fish and satisfy the needs of this world. In this, we can experience the great commission with Him, in Him, and for Him. In this, we can be missional to win souls, to disciple our nation, or to share the bread of life to the ends of this world, to the generations of Christians not yet come for the sake of the great harvest. My friends, Christ alone has the answer to satisfy humanity's cry for meaning and for purpose. Let's close our eyes before our Lord. Let's be silent before Him. In the silence, God speaks the loudest. Friends, where are you now? I'm not asking about your physical location, but I'm asking for the state of your mind, your hearts, and your soul. Now, through the pandemic years and coming out of it, have you been striving, worrying about the affairs of money? Let me first speak to the non-believers amongst us. And I know that there are many. You might be trying to keep up with the Jones, desiring that bigger house, desiring that bigger car, chasing that elusive dream. Is that the threshold of life? Is that all that consumes us? Or perhaps you are struggling with the life complexities that are beyond your control, your ability to bear. The Christian faith promises that there is a glorious rainbow that beckons. Jesus says, look at the horizon. Chase that rainbow. Come, follow me. There's rich findings at the end of it. You'll find more than a pot of gold. You'll find true riches. Now, if this is who you are, a non-believer wanting Jesus to be in your life for the very first time at the count of three with all eyes closed no one looking around would you yield to Jesus at the count of three one two three would you raise your hands right now raise it to the kings of kings the lord of lords or raise it to Jesus 
Thank you. Thank you for these hands. Are there more? Are there more amongst us? The sequence we've Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for these lives. Now, at the end of this service, I would like to invite those who raise your hands to come to the front. And we would like to pray for you and pray with you. And for the rest of us, God wants to lead us into a new season in our life, a new season of renewed lordship. We will be willing to be His servants. We will be willing to be His steward. I invite all to stand now. And as an act of surrender, will you raise your open palms to God? Your left palm represents your identity as a servant. Tell King Jesus that you are my one master, my one devotion. Oh, no other love competes, no rival throne survives, and I serve only you. In your right palm, it represents your identity as a steward. Tell King Jesus that I want to be trustworthy in having worldly wealth so that I can be entrusted with the real things in heaven. Father, you see these precious hands raised to you. Would you bless us to lead a victorious life that you have so intended. And I know that when we accept our place as servants, as stewards for you, your grace, your power, your blessings will flow from there. Then it will be our job our assignments and our calling. Will you use us to win lives of many in our nation and in our marketplace? We want to live Christianly. We want to live distinctively. We want to live for King Jesus, surrendering our money, our all, into His hands. Amen. Let's remain standing. And let's use this closing hymn right now as a prayer of the, no, our heart's desire the and more importantly, the decision to make this day make Jesus the master of all of our life. So let's sing this closing hymn together. All to Jesus, I surrender.
right now let's just pause for a short moment for the Holy Spirit to speak to us what's the secret to a life of surrender and generosity glorious picture that our Lord Jesus Christ though he was rich yet for our sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich thank you Jesus for forsaking it all so that we might become yours and yours alone so as in the words of the apostle paul that we first give ourselves to you we first give of ourselves to you we put ourselves on the altar and we know the rest of it will follow suit so my dear brothers and sisters in christ Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Would you lift up your hands to receive God's benediction and empowering? Our God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work receive the benediction of the lord this day and go forth with his peace and blessing 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.